New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Today we're going to be exploring the art of effective listening. Experts point out that listening is not the same as hearing. We receive practically no instruction on learning how to listen well, even though it's a skill that promotes better understanding of people, reduces conflict, makes us better at our jobs, and enhances our relationship. The art of listening well is an active experience rather than a passive one, and the need for effective listening is more important now than ever before. What are the barriers that impede our listening? How may we improve our listening? How can effective listening help our relationships with our spouses, our parents, our children, our bosses, or our coworkers? How can effective listening increase our emotional intelligence and business success? Today, we'll be exploring the answers to these questions and more with our guest, Leslie Shore. Leslie Shore has worked in the retail industry and personal management fields and instructional designer, where she has gained much wisdom in what it takes to be an effective listener. She's the owner of Listen to Succeed, a consultancy that focuses on using listening analytics to help personal and professional clients achieve their highest level of effective communication. She's the author of Listening to Succeed, How to Identify and Overcome Barriers to Effective Listening. Her book, Listening to Succeed, is currently being used as a textbook in several universities. Join us for the next hour as we explore how to cultivate more effective listening skills with our guest, Leslie Shore. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Leslie, welcome. Thank you so much, Justine. Uh, Let's start From the beginning, when you were young, you were inspired by your grandmother. Can you tell us how she inspired you? Absolutely. My grandmother was a woman who, when she walked into the room, everyone felt that they were important to her. Because when she spoke with them, she listened with the utmost sincerity. And as a result... They felt valued, and I saw that when I was with my grandmother. 
And when we would go on our walks down to Howard Johnson's to get fried clams, which is a nice thing to be able to do in Boston, we would be talking all the way down about what was going on in my life. And then while we were at Howard Johnson's, she'd be talking about what was happening in her life. And on the way back, the the walk became magical because all the shops were on the side that we were walking back on. And she would walk in and talk to people. The grocery store clerk, she'd say, so how did your son do in the the, um, uh, Little League game that he pitched in last week? And that that young man would kind of just puff up because my grandmother had remembered that his son was actually pitching. And how, how did she remember that? She remembered it not because of her memory, but because she was really listening deeply and sincerely. So it was very easy to put together the face with what he had said the week before. And he really felt valued that what he had to say was important. And that's who my grandmother was. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. And it and it just reminds me that in in listening in these days, we have so many barriers to it. We 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 have so many our everyday spaces are just not conducive to listening with all the technology or all the filters that are going on. Would would you do you agree? Totally. It's difficult enough to listen to someone else on a deserted island because we already have barriers that are in our way that we don't know about. But when we're talking about a technologically advanced society where there are so many things, cell phones chief amongst them, getting in the way, and the idea that multitasking is a good thing, you can't listen and do something else well at the same time. And so in today's society, which is so hurried and so technology-oriented and so you've got to put as as much as you can in in a short period of time, listening gets the short shrift. So I agree with you completely, Justine. Well, you mentioned multitasking. So let's just say a little bit about that. Um, we kind of pride ourselves these days of being able to what they call multitask. But is that really what's happening? Are we really doing two things at once? We're not doing two things at once well. You can clean house and talk to someone because for most people, cleaning house isn't a cognitive uh, process for them. But if you're doing two cognitive things at the same time, if you're at your computer typing and you're talking to someone, Neither is getting 100% of you. So the myth is that multitasking is something that you can do and actually produce what you want to produce in either situation. The reality is that when it's cognitive, you need to be doing just one thing. Right. Okay. So now that we, I, I really like that idea because it's, it's, it really is a, a myth, especially like if we're talking on the phone and doing our email at the same time. We're not getting the same. Although, if we're talking on the phone, what about if we're talking on the phone and we're driving? I'm not not using a handheld, but something else. That's probably 
driving, we're paying attention, but we're not, it's not so cognitive. It's it's what I call quasi-cognitive. Okay, right, because you do have to pay attention. <laughs> you do have to pay attention, and there are times when I'm on the phone, hands-free, of course, and I can see up ahead that there's a situation. I will actually tell the person on the phone, I'm hanging up. I need to pay really good attention to what's happening. I'll call you back when I'm on the other side of what whatever it is. Right. My friends all know that that's the case. And if there's a call coming in, I don't know who it is. I don't pick up Yes. when I'm in the car. I just don't pick up because I know that there is going to be too much cognitive effort that I have to do and drive safely. Thanks, I'd rather get to where I'm going safely. Right, exactly, exactly. So, um, barriers. Yes. Let's let's talk about some of the barriers. And I'd, I'd like to go into um, one of the chapters that you talk about. There are, you call them, in, there are external barriers and mm-hmm. internal barriers. So, I'd like to talk about the internal barriers. Sure. And uh, you, I've, I've gotten a list of them, like, Eight, eight of them that I've picked out from from your book, and um, the first one that I'd love you to comment on is something you called mind reading. So if we're in a we're listening, but we're also doing mind reading, what do you mean by that? When you know someone, and time after time after time, they start off with a sentence and they're going forward, your brain just goes, oh, here we go again. And therefore, you decide that you're going to finish what they're saying in your head. Well, while you're doing that, you're not listening. And what happens is that person may have changed their tune in that particular instance, and you miss it completely and you are not able to give a response that is equal to what it was that they just said. At the same time, you sometimes actually, when doing that, you actually finish their sentences for them. Now, how respectful is that? So you mean out loud? Out loud. Yeah. Because you think you've you've done the mind reading, you know what they're going to say, and therefore you actually finish the sentence for them. Not fair. It's it's not uh, showing um, dignity and humility and all those things that are important in in listening and in relationships. So mind reading really does happen mostly when you know the person very well. So someone probably we have history with. So yes. Perfect. And 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 I'm I'm thinking it, like we make assumptions. We're hearing something, and we make assumptions. I'm reminded of of I hear from listeners to New Dimensions, people who who have downloaded the program and kept a program around, and they listen to it again later. They hear it the first time, and then they they get some value out of it, hopefully. And then years later, they go back and listen to it again. And they're hearing something really different because isn't it true that we have changed? So it wouldn't it be true that if if we have history with a person and we think that they're saying the same thing, we might hear it in a different way because 
we've progressed or evolved in some way. Oh, absolutely. And it, and this this whole business about listening has to do with relationships. And the reality is that in a relationship, there are two people. And we want the other person to grow, and we want them to change in positive ways. And we're doing the same thing. But sometimes it's more invisible to us as to how we've grown. And so in terms of a listener who goes back and can hear in a different way what is being said in that particular interview, it gives rise to the reality that that the, the barriers that we may have had in the way to getting something the first time are no longer there or have been brought down to a, a place where you can get past them, push them aside, and, and listen in a new way. Every day, we're born anew, and every day, we have an opportunity to look at everything differently. The person across the way doesn't know that that's happened to you. You may not know that it's happened to you. But, it, you know, your point about listening to one of these interviews again— the point about reading a book again, that wisdom, hopefully, in each of us continues to grow. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Leslie Shore, and she is the author of Listen to Succeed, How to Identify and Overcome Barriers to Effective Listening. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, listentosucceed.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. with Leslie Shore, and she's the author of Listening to Succeed, How to Identify and Overcome Barriers to Effective Listening. Before we go on with this list that I have that I'd love for you to speak about, these these eight barriers, uh, I would love to have you say something about the idea that listening is not the same as hearing. What's the difference Okay, so when we're born, unless we have an actual physical issue with hearing, we come out of the womb being able to hear. The sounds come in, and we're able to bring them in, and we can hear them. 
That's physiology. Listening is actually a process. It's taking in those sounds, and with me, I also believe body language. You are listening to the body language. You're listening to the sounds. You're listening to what's being said. And you're actually processing that through the three parts of your brain, through your um, lizard-like fight-or-flight brain, your reptilian brain, your limbic brain, which is the emotional brain, and your neocortex, which is your critical thinking brain. And all of those actually have history. What has happened to you? Um, Things that you may not even know are affecting your listening. There are actual barriers that you don't know about. But what listening is, is the actual process of taking all this in and then internalizing it and then being able to respond. So they're actually completely different things. And we're not taught how to listen. And doctors who the most, doctors should be the the ones that get taught the most. There are only two medical schools in the United States that actually have a course on listening. (laughs) And that's kind of scary, to be honest with you. But that's the point, that everyone thinks we can do it. We definitely hear, we listen 45% of our day, and yet there are no courses in it. There are no classes in it. And that's why I realized I had to do this work. You know, I'm just reminding when you said doctors, I was recently with um, with one of my doctors, and I could I could tell that he was going into his spiel, so to speak, that he was, he, his, his like script he was just giving me a script about here's this and this and this and this. And so what I did, I interrupted him and I just said, you know, Dr. So-and-so, here's the point that I would really like for you to understand about my situation. And and I could see he kind of blinked and he sort of leaned back and he started giving me a different kind of attention and uh, so this is what you're talking about, about body language, when we can see either we're being heard or we ourselves are not listening. It's really true. And what you did was absolutely brilliant. You basically told him without telling him that he really wasn't listening to you. And you took it upon yourself to make sure that he was. And when I talk about response, being a responsible as a listener, sometimes it's also being responsible for realizing that you're not being listened to and you're in a situation where you must be. So you stood up for yourself and that was, I hope that was a lesson that he actually learned. And I hope it didn't stop with just you because it is a situation where doctors get very wrote in terms of what their response is, but I don't think that's very honoring of the person that's in front of you. There's a lot of pressure on them. They have so many minutes, they've got to get through it, and it's yeah. it's part of our, our, our broken healthcare system in some ways. Yes, it, it most definitely is. There almost isn't time to listen. Right. But I have to say that as my mom was going through her decline before she passed last year, one of the most wonderful things was that her doctor, he didn't care whether he spent 40 minutes with her and had people 
packed up, <laughs> backed up in, in other rooms. He really listened to her. And it was the most honoring of my mom, and at the age of 89, where a lot of people are not honored anymore in terms of people listening to them, that was just a, just a wonderful thing for her to feel at that age. What a gift, a gift. And I, I'm thinking, too, Leslie, that the listening takes practice. It's not something that comes natural to us. It's not—we have to make a conscious decision to listen, to, to, to pay attention. Is, is this your experience? Absolutely. And there are two words that begin with E. One is energy, and the other is ego. To listen effectively, you actually have to put some energy in. It does take— time, and it takes energy for you to listen to the other person and not have the usual be in the way. And the second thing is ego. One of the things about listening is that to do so really effectively, you have to put your ego totally aside. There's got to be 110% of you in the other person's shoes that the only person that matters in that conversation is them, not you. Because as the listener, that is where you need to come from if you want to get not just the facts, but the underlying emotions that come with what's being said. So going back to some of those barriers that, that we have when you say put your ego aside and really uh, to be present without the listening, one of the... Um, one said, I, I had to laugh. Um, I have a good friend that I, I find it's just very difficult to speak with her over and over again because she does this a lot. And, and then maybe I do it too. I, I, of course I do it too. Um, it's called identifying that, that when they're talking, then we start to switch you talk about how we switch our focus back to ourselves and we 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 like i don't know top their story with a story of our own yes and that's the ego at work yes that is so the ego at work and the funny thing is if we can learn to to look at the person that we're listening to and the reason they're bringing up the story is that it's important to them they're not interested in our story. They may be interested in what our reaction is for them. Telling them our story is that one upsmanship. Yeah. Do they get anything from that? Probably not. They get something from, you know something? I went through that about four years ago. What I can tell you is that time took care of it or something that I did helped me get through it, you don't have to tell the story. I, I remember in, in your book, you, you gave a phrase that I thought, oh, this is really good. When, when you actually, well, in this case, uh, like compliment and saying, you are doing that so much better than what I did four years ago. And that really is, it, it's giving kind of feedback. So we're saying, okay, I went through some of the same thing, but you don't go into the whole story. No. 
No. It, Unless it, they ask. Right. Right. If if you say to them, yes, I did go through it, and what I found out was X, and they want more information, wonderful. Then you're giving them what they're asking for. Mm-hmm. But if it's if it's not asked for, you now have done that switch, and it's now all about you. And it needs to remain all about them. Another one— and uh, I have been very guilty of this and been criticized for this, and many of us do this, interrupting. Interrupting. So can you say something about interrupting? Okay. Interrupting comes from two separate barriers, and it depends on why you interrupt as to which barrier it belongs to. One of the barriers, the major barrier, is the power and control barrier. And the interrupting is, I'm getting the floor back. I don't care what I have to do to do that. And in America, it's even worse because we believe that the power is in the speaker, not in the listener. Well, the reality is you can't learn unless you're listening. So really, the power belongs to the listener. So power and control, you interrupt because you want the floor back. The other one is performance anxiety. Because what happens is they're saying something awesome, and you just don't want to forget what it is you want to say back to them, which is why I carry my pad around with me and my pen. So when someone is talking, and my friends are so used to this, and they say something I want to respond to, what I write down is a couple of key words that they said, not how I'm going to respond, because if I'm doing that, I'm not listening, but a couple of key words that I know when I go back and say, so Susie, you said X, and what I want to say about that or how I feel about that is, is, is why. What's wonderful is, is that the speaker feels totally heard and you are honoring what they said by writing down and using their words and the fact that what they started, you're moving that conversation forward. So that the interruption is interesting. It can happen for one of two reasons. So there's the interrupting, and then that's what you call intruding, I guess. Yes. You, you give it the word intruding. Yes. And I, I, I really smiled at when I, I read this in your book because it's something that I do when when I'm in the interview process. I, you, I, I even tell my guests, if you see me writing something, it's I'm still with you, and, and it, it helps me. To do exactly what you're saying is to key off of something that you have said that just kind of excites me or that I I think is um, some something that I want you to expand upon or know more about. Right. And the thing is that um, we actually uh, teach people how to treat us. And the same is true in our conversations. When we do these things about writing notes so that we can honor what it is that they're saying by by being able to continue to listen until they're done and then and then respond, um, one of the things that we that we have to really realize is that when we are taking the time to not intrude, to not interrupt to let them know that we're truly listening. 
what is happening is that the relationship is deepening, that they feel that what they're saying is totally valued and that they should continue. In a way, writing those words down is saying to them, oh, I'm on a roll. Let me keep, let me keep going in this direction. It's that acknowledgement of the speaker. And it also still allows you to continue to listen. I'm here with Leslie Shore, and she's the author of Listen to Succeed, How to Identify and Overcome Barriers to Effective Listening. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Leslie Shore, and she's the author of Listen to Succeed, How to Identify and Overcome Barriers to Effective Listening. And Leslie, I, I'm just wondering, as you were speaking about you know, uh, how, how we can listen and the barriers and you know, how we, our ego gets in interfering with our listening, I'm also thinking about how Boredom, like if we're, we're if we're trying to listen to someone, you've mentioned that people speak uh, some maybe what a hundred and seventy five words per minute, something or is it per minute? It, yeah. it, it's more than that per minute. Oh, but, okay, but and yeah. but our, our our listening speed is much higher, like eight hundred yes. words yes. per minute or something like that. So. It's easy for us to, especially with a slow, methodical speaker, for us to get bored. So what can we do about that? <laughs> our, our mind has a tendency to wander because there is that gap between how quickly people speak and how much we could take in at a time. And with mind wandering, it's, it's almost like my mind is wandering get back. It's almost like talking to yourself. It's thinking about your listening instead of thinking about your thinking. And it's realizing what is happening to you physiologically that's telling you that your mind is wandering. And people get fidgety. People will start moving around in their chair. When you're the listener and you can feel yourself getting fidgety, you know that that's what's happening. So getting back to it's the about them, what is it that I can find in this conversation that is beneficial to me? How can I show them that I'm listening so that you're in the listening game and sitting up straight or nodding your head? Those are things that you can figure out what's happening by the the physiology of fidgeting <laughs> and also being able to acknowledge the speaker in a in a concrete way that keeps you in the game of listening when that happens. So what what do we do when we find ourselves 
off in daydreaming. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, we're there at some lecture and we're trying to listen and then we just find ourselves or we're in a classroom situation and we find ourselves daydreaming. It's really interesting because having taught <laughs> and still teaching face-to-face, I do see students like that and I I think I'm pretty scintillating when I'm in front of the classroom. <laughs> but the reality is that depending on the subject, some people may find it somewhat uh, boring or their mind wanders. And what I realize is that for people who are having that that trouble, the important thing in that situation is to know what is it that you want to get out of this. I think that's really the most important thing. In a lecture, if someone's going to teach me about quantum physics, I am going to tune out. And the reality is that if I'm there for a reason, I have to figure out what reason I'm there for. I went to that lecture on my own. My students come to a class for a reason. They have to figure out, why am I here? And am I going to step away from what's happening and miss the very thing that I was supposed to be here for? Or uh, or am I going to stay literally in the game? And part of it is sitting up straight. When we talk about body language, sitting up straight, even being on the end edge of your chair, having that pad of paper and taking notes, even if it isn't regular notes that you take in a classroom, but it could be a mind map as as someone is speaking. Something to keep you engaged and and not allowing your um, boredom and then your body language to match up and then completely take you out of the game. You know, Leslie, I'm thinking also Let's just talk about, outside of the classroom, let's talk mm-hmm. about friendship. Yeah. And so we, we want more friends in our lives. And I, I know that, that loneliness and isolation is a huge problem in, in the U.S. and in many Western cultures. So uh, to cultivate friendship means that we need to be good listeners even if we've heard their story before even if we've we think that we we know them and and we want to tell our story and you know we're, so what do you have to say about creating better friendships through deep listening it's really a wonderful thing that we have friends to begin with we're complicated human beings, and we are changing on a daily basis. And we think that sometimes it's only us that's changing, and it's not really true. Our friends are changing at the same time. Our relationship with them changes. I think one of the most important things is be honest. I have had friends who have told the same story over and over and over and over again, and I've been the only person there listening, so it's not like it's a group, and I, oh, maybe they didn't know I was there. It's a real situation then to be able to say, you know, when you told me that story before, what I got out of it was X. 
Thanks for bringing it back to my attention. Oh, that's a very, uh, that's a good way of doing it. I, I'm also thinking, Leslie, too, that like we're all busy in our day, and and for me, like I'm often I'm I'm at my computer or I'm reading a book, preparing for an interview, or I'm doing something to do with um, the production of New Dimensions, and the phone rings, and it's a friend. And I have to make a very conscious decision. I can feel at first, I can feel like, oh, I have all this, these details to, to do still to accomplish. But I, I know I have to place the value of this friendship. It has to, I, I think of that value and then I need to take the time, whatever it is. And usually my friend will say, is this a good time? So if it really is not a good time, I can really say that. But if I'm honest with myself, I can pause whatever I'm doing, and I can take the time to be there and to have a, a listening, deep listening conversation. And the funny thing about it is that when that friend calls, and you're in the middle of something, and as we already talked about, we can't do two cognitive things at the same time. I have a friend who, when she calls, and I'm on the computer, she knows it, and she literally says to me, swing around, so that I'm not facing the computer. That's, that's how good her listening is, and, and, yeah. and she knows that. And the rea- to me, what the reality is that when we have friendships that we want to deepen, there's that energy, there's that time, there's that ego that can get in the way. And for you to pause, as you said, and realize what at this moment is more valuable and the friendship comes out on top, it's a given. If, even though the friendship's really valuable, it's really not a good time to talk. One of the things that I suggest is, you know something? I'm so glad you called. I literally am in the middle of something that I cannot stop. Can I call you back in 20 minutes? Of course they'll say yes. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that when we're talking about uh, relationships between parent and child, there are lots of times where a child will come to a parent and, and want to talk about something, and they always pick the worst time in the world, <laughs> always. That's just the way it is. And the parent really has to be able to say, A, can I stop what I'm doing? And B, if I can't, I need to look at my child and say, it's 3.30 now at 4 o'clock. I will come to your bedroom and we will talk. Is that okay? The child feels heard, valued, and doesn't really feel put off because they know they're going to see that parent at 4 o'clock. Yeah, exactly. There's another uh, big one uh, that I, I think, and I think we all do it, rehearsing. You know, we're, we're, we're sitting there, we're waiting for our, t- our turn, or, or, and we're in our head, we're actually rehearsing what it is we're going to say when someone else is actually speaking. So please tell us. Uh, it's so well. normal. <laughs> we all do it. It's, it's so funny when people introduce themselves and go around in a circle and introduce themselves. 
You're saying, how am I going to introduce myself? You are not listening to anybody. You can't remember any of their <laughs> names. You remember yours, but you can't remember theirs. It's a perfect example of, of rehearsing. Uh, if you have to fire somebody, and I've had this happen, rehearse, 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 rehearse. You're doing a presentation that, that you're up next. So all you're thinking about is that. So part of that is the, it's our turn is coming. And it's a mindset because if you're doing a presentation at work and other people are doing presentations before and you are literally not listening because you are rehearsing, you're missing what they're saying. And there's something that they could be saying that A, you could use in your presentation or B, bridge back to it so that you can honor that person that 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 said that particular thing in 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 their turn but here's the interesting thing sometimes we rehearse because especially as americans we don't understand that silence is okay my grandmother said listen without judgment and wait for the period at the end of the sentence before formulating a reply, not replying, but formulating the reply. That's so difficult for us because we think that as soon as the first person finishes, we've got to jump in. And boom, we're off and running. But that's not the case. My friends know that when my head goes down and my finger, my index finger goes up, it's like, I'm thinking about what you just said. Give me a moment and then I'll respond. They know that, but I allow that silence because I think it's honoring of the speaker before me to actually take in, work with, and then respond to what they've said instead of jumping on top of it, and they know they haven't been fully listened to. I remember being in a, a, a circle with uh, a diversity of people, and one of the women in this circle that I was with, it was about three weeks that we were together in a kind of meeting. And she was from Moscow and had grown up in Moscow and under communism. And in our little small breakout circle, we would all be talking this and that and the other. And she was going crazy. And she finally said, it's just so, so hard to be around Americans. You just jump in so fast. And I really learned something from her in that moment, a reflection of who we are. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Leslie Shore, and she's the author of Listen to Succeed, How to Identify and Overcome Barriers to Effective Listening. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Leslie Shore, and she's the author of Listen to Succeed, How to Identify and Overcome Barriers to Effective Listening. And Leslie, uh, there was one thing that you mentioned in your book and in your work. I just, I, I don't think I've ever read it anyplace else, but I really loved your drawing our attention to it. And y- you talk about one of the barriers is is the law of least effort that that we we i feel that we've really been entrained by advertising that that they it, it comes at us so they they figure out more 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 clever ways of getting our attention and so we're used to having people get our attention you know and and so how does this affect our listening to one another? <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting because the reality of advertising is they go for about the 11 to 14-year-old range uh, in terms of what they're aiming for. And therefore, we have what we would probably call the um, the, the thought process. You have seven seconds to make your point. And when you have seven seconds to make your point in advertising, that's pretty fast. And so, especially our youngsters who have been growing up since all this technology has taken over, and we have everything on the internet and TV and you name it, it's quick, 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 quick. That's what their brains are attuned to. And you make a great point that we've trained our youngsters to think in seven-second segments. We can't listen in seven-second segments. And the the people who have uh, the situation where the the law of, of least energy, literally, in terms of their listening... When you have that as a barrier, that probably is from the early training. It could also be from the fact that in your family, your given family, they didn't have much time. And so, literally, if you didn't get their attention in seven seconds, they were off to something else. And so, when the law of least effort is you may be listening only for emotion. You may be listening only for fact. And if you're doing that, you're ending up missing half of what's being said, essentially. So I think when one of the things about being an American and a technological society that doesn't believe in silence and that believes that the power is in speaking and not in listening, we have really set ourselves up, not for success, but we've set ourselves up for failure in terms of deep listening. Can we get across things in a snippet, a sound bite? Absolutely. But to, to me, to what detriment? We're not ever getting deep enough. And so when we're talking about listening with Within a relationship, one of the most glorious things is to look at someone's eyes when you're deeply and sincerely listening to them. For more than seven seconds, the longer it goes, 
the more their self-esteem rises because they realize, wow, there's something really here. They're listening to me. I'm valued. They care. And I'm not just, you know, one of the masses, so to speak. I had a teacher who was like that. She was amazing. She could have 32 kids around her after class, but she had time for you. And she was deeply listening. And it wasn't seven seconds. It was as long as it needed to be. That's beautiful. I, in, the, in the seven seconds, I, I'm thinking about what's taking place right now. Um, and this is another one of those barriers you call sparring or ambushing. And I think of our political discourse and how oftentimes there's, there's what they call framing. And they frame a whole thought, a whole uh, experience in our culture and and in just four or five words. Yes. You know, uh, and we know many of those words uh, in phrases, they're catchphrases, and they they cause us uh, to have emotional uh, reactions to them. But but it's not a true discourse, and, and it's, it's something that it seems like in especially in politics that they're they're not listening to one another they might as well just each bring a tape recorder and just play a tape recorder back and forth and they're they're just looking for those things to disagree with absolutely so there are a couple of things there uh first of all the buzzwords because you can say so much with a word or a phrase that everybody knows what it means and the listener is processing, oh, I know what that means, and it's like a translation. And the other thing is that what we're looking at right now in politics and in this presidential situation is that we're looking at the fact that many of the candidates are working with our emotional uh, and our fight-or-flight brain. And because that's where they're spending their time, with their choice of words, with their tone, the way in which they're saying it, and where they're saying it, what's happening is that those candidates who are working with the critical thinking brain and how they're talking, they're almost losing the fight. Because if two-thirds of our brain is not our critical thinking brain, the one that really listens deeply— Wow, there's twice as much going into the other part of our brain than in our critical thinking. And, brain. and doesn't it take more work to listen critically to something and and listen to it deeply than it does to just sort of be triggered emotionally? And the word trigger is exactly what is happening. And when we talk about uh, barriers, one of the biggest ones is judging and weighing. And the emotional triggers. And the emotional triggers are the ones that come mostly out of our childhood. And we don't even know that they're there. And, and it, it points to, especially in this presidential race, we're talking about talking fear. Mm -hmm. Those buzzwords are about fear. And the reality is you don't lead from fear. Any leader will tell you that. You can't lead from fear. It, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work in the long run. That's for that's for sure. But I think one of the things that 
we need to understand is that it does take energy and it does take time and it does take us being able to say, I'm not exactly sure what he or she is saying. I need to look it up. That was my family. Look it up. You know, if we didn't know or didn't understand something and couldn't quite figure it out, look it up. We had responsibility for our own learning. And in listening, we have responsibility in terms of how things are coming in. Can we put a good filter there and filter out those things that are appealing to our emotion and allow in those things that are appealing to our critical thinking? I'm thinking also, too, that um, it's important that we understand the diversity of views. So Mm -hmm. it might be good for us to find those people who are articulate about their view, who are not using the buzzwords and not going to the fear, but they're really explaining from where they're coming, and, and, and they're really holding that really well. It might be good for us to do deep listening there to someone other than our in-group, so to speak, uh, and to understand, oh, it might expand our own view. I think what you're saying is so important. No matter how young or old we are, we don't have all the answers. And it's really important for us to realize that our ego gets in the way of our learning. Never mind our listening but it gets in the way of our learning. If we think we know it all, we obviously don't because we never know it all. And part of being a, you know, they used to call it being a Renaissance person. Part of being that type of person is realizing that learning never ends. And my grandmother used to say, if you're not expanding, you're contracting. And she meant that in terms of learning and education. And she was so right. I mean, I got my master's at the age of 48 or 49, and I can tell you that it was best that I waited until that moment because the wisdom allowed me to gain the the most. But I have to say, if someone wants to ask me about quantum physics, I'll say, no problem, but dumb it down for me, (laughs) and I will be able to listen. And that, to me, is important. We can't ever think that we know it all, and other people's opinions are just as valuable as ours. So this is one of the reasons that deep listening is needed now more than ever. Especially because of what we were talking about before. We continually get assailed by all these buzzwords on on TV and, and other places. How can we unpack those and make sure that we are in a situation where we're truly listening to what counts, what's underneath. I, I know we could talk much more <laughs> about all of this, and I, I just want to thank you, Leslie, for being with us today on New Dimensions. It was totally my pleasure, Justine. I've been speaking with Leslie Shore. She is the author of Listen to Succeed, How to Identify and Overcome Barriers to Effective Listening. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, listentosucceed.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. 
This is program number 3578. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.